0: All right, we're going to go to the book of James in chapter number four. And if you still have your little green books, I should have printed this off for you today. I'll do it next week. Um, I'll have you the outline. And hopefully, you know, you have read through, you're still using your little green books and running through and making notes of, of what you think that that each one of those chapters are saying to you as you go through that. But again, we're, we're looking at... Um, James and the lesson that he's teaching these Hebrew Christians, and we remember that he continues to teach these scattered Christians, and he's laying the groundwork for solid growth in faith. He's teaching them fundamentals that will help them as they venture into new areas. Remember, we've mentioned that and, and uh, what's going on in their lives and how they've been persecuted, and so they've, they've left their church. They've left uh, their homeland maybe, and they've been scattered to many new areas and, and so James is giving them you know some foundational teachings so that they can they can live as Christians in this new area. And he remember, he is continuing to remind them of the evidence of a professed faith. Let's remember that remember, faith without works is dead. And so if you say you have faith, That'll be evidenced by the works that you perform. And so he's been talking about the evidence of a professed faith. And so in this chapter, he's going to teach them the fourth proof. The fourth proof is that if you truly have faith, it will be seen by you walking in godliness in all things. That godliness will reach every aspect of your life. That you won't have your Christianity compartmentalized, like you're 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 a Christian on Sunday, but the rest of the week you're something else. And and you know there's a lot of people that says you know you gotta you need to keep the the secular and the sacred separate. And we say no. The sacred involves everything in your life. It is. Uh, it, it permeates everything that you are. And so that's what James is teaching here in uh, James chapter number four. This, this fourth proof is that uh, one who is, truly has faith, it will be proved by the works in their life, and they will be godly in all things. Now, I'm teaching this book of James uh, also at the mission, and, and I started it a lot later um, and I'm walking through it even slower than I'm walking through it with you guys. But in our class on Monday, we spent quite a bit of time focusing on James chapter number 1 and verse number 18, where it says, Of his own will beget he us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. And so we want to remember that, that the reason that you want to practice godliness in all things is because you're you're a kind of first fruits as as God's people as ones who have been born again. You're a kind of first fruits, and and what are the first fruits? The first fruits are those first fruits that grow on a tree, and and you know you always desire those first fruits because you know you you've not had any of that for an entire year, and so you know you've planted the garden, you've been toiling all spring on it, and and uh, you know that first you know whatever grows maybe it's that first mess of beans you get you know or that first ear of corn or or maybe that first mess of peas or or whatever it is that you that you get first out of that garden and so when when the bible talks about the first fruits we understand that was the first fruits that appeared and and the children of israel were to give their tithes and offerings off the first fruits but what is what james is saying is you're a kind of the first fruits. You're a kind of an example, a promise of things to come. So the first fruits, when you see those first uh, ripe fruit on the vine, you know, and you, you, we'll, we'll use a tomato. You go and you pick that first uh, red tomato, and you know that you know maybe one comes, and then it's going to be a long time maybe before the next one comes. But you know as you eat that first ripe tomato that you know that there's going to be many more tomatoes to follow that and James is saying for them to remember that you are to be a, a picture of the first fruits, a picture of the things that are to come. And so you're to be an example to the world of this is what it looks like to be a child of God. And so there's some things there in James 1.18 that we want to remember. We want to remember that is of his own will begetting us. God beget us to himself because he chose to do so. It's his will. He beget us he 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 uh, regenerated us we are now his children and and how did he beget us he beget us by his word and and then that we should be a kind of first fruit so so we are his representatives of things to come and so that's an important lesson for those scattered christians who are living in uh, areas uh, where christianity may not be popular (laughs) And it's also important for us as Christians living in troubled times that we remember and recognize that we are living as sort of a first fruits and kind of a representative of things to come. And remember this, we are a representative of the coming kingdom. We're to be living as citizens of the heavenly kingdom. And so you're, 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 you're showing people This is what it looks like to be a citizen of the eternal kingdom. Remember that. And so so James has been laying that out for them here. And so notice what he says in verses 1 through 3 of James chapter 4. He says, From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence? Even of your lust, that war in your members, you lust and have not. You kill and desire to have and you cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you have not because you ask not. You ask and receive not because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your own lust. So, so the first thing we want to notice here is the contrast between the end of chapter number three and the beginning of chapter number four. Notice what he says, just, just James 3.18. It says, and the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. So what's the topic in that? What's the subject there? he's talking about peace, right? And then look at uh, James 4.1. From whence come wars and fightings among you. So you have peace. And at the end of chapter number three, and you have war at the beginning of chapter number four. See the contrast between the two? You know, the way that our Bible is written and the way that it's divided with chapters and verses, you know, sometimes we miss some of these subtleties that are in the scripture because what do we do? We We get to the end of chapter number three and we quit reading. And we may not pick up and read chapter number four for a period of time. And so we might miss... This subtlety between peace and the the subtle contrast between peace and war between the end of chapter number three and the beginning of chapter number four because we have this big division called chapter number four. But in the original original letter, that wasn't there. And so what is maybe missed by us would not be missed by the original readers. And so they would recognize that that James is, is giving a contrast here a contrast between those that walk in the fruit of righteousness and experience peace and those who fight and war and have wars among themselves because they are driven by their own lust and so there's that contrast there and and and, and james uses that uh, contrast in his writing to 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 uh drive home a point listen walk in the fruit of righteousness and you'll have peace and walk according to the lust of the flesh and you're going to have wars. So what should you want to do? I mean, it's pretty easy, right? But it, but it is a, a, a literary mechanism that drives home a point And we want to make sure as we read that we look for those things. Because again, remember, these guys are authors. They're writing a story. And even though they are writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, where they are writing the inspired words of God, God still uses literary devices... Uh, when he inspires these writers to, to help the readers understand. They, these are not just words that are kind of, you know, this is not like alphabet soup that has a bunch of letters thrown into a pot and that with no rhyme or reason. No, these are men who are inspired of God to write, and they're using a grammatical structure, and uh, they're using literary devices to help us comprehend and to drive home points. And so that's a, a key point for us to understand there. But also we want to understand that as James is writing here is that he's kind of broadening his writing. At the first point he um, was writing specifically to those scattered Christians but now he seems to be reaching out to a broader audience and he's talking to uh, greater Jewry. In other words he's he's talking to his brothers who are Jews and he's Addressing them on some of the the, the the subjects that that they might be facing and and some of the problems that they are facing and it is this problem of uh, wars and fightings among themselves and and it is those lawsuits and things like that 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 they're that they are facing and so um, so he wants to alert him to that. So, so when he writes about you kill, you know, he, he might not be specifically talking about early Christians here, but that he might be reaching out to broader Jewry, to Christian, to, to Jews who are not Christians, but he's still addressing them because they are his brothers in Judaism. So they are his blood brothers by blood. And so He's reaching out to those because they might be struggling with those issues. So, so again, we're thinking about we're thinking about godliness in every area of our life. And 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 James is talking about that, that, that the proof of your faith is going to be found that you're godly in everything. And the first thing that he mentions here is that lusts that you have in life are a hindrance. To godliness. And you know, we all sometimes struggle with the lust. It's lust for uh, acceptance. It's lust for uh, significance. It's lust for uh, power. And you might not be saying that you might not be desiring power, but you desire that you matter. It might be the lust of covetousness or it might be physical lust. I mean, there's lust are a problem for us. And we remember that James addressed that subject of lust back in 14, where he says, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And so we know that that lust is an issue that, James is addressing with these scattered Christians and we know that lust is an issue that that we all have to battle against because the flesh desires for self-satisfaction. And we all have the presence of the flesh and so we all are going to battle uh, with the lusts that are internal in us. And so notice what he says From whence come wars and fightings among you, come they not hence even of your own lust, that war in your members. And so, you know, with with these things, there's there's sort of a dual application here. You know, if we think about, if we take, take that verse and we internalize that, and we think that James is talking to an individual, and as he's what is he's reaching out to an individual and he says, You, you want to know why you have a struggle inside your heart? You want to know why you have these internal conflicts, these wars, and your fightings within yourself? The reason you have these fightings and wars within yourself is because of your lust. And so we all can think about that, right? We all know how we might struggle as we pursue our own agendas and as we pursue our own agendas which might be different than God's agendas but we pursue our agenda we know that's that's probably going to cause a conflict within us because you know if we're finding our own agenda our own agenda that means we're walking in the flesh we're not walking in the spirit so we're not our our agendas won't be founded on scripture they'll be founded on our desires and so that lust of the flesh is going to cause a struggle with the spirit. And so you, that's going to be a problem. And so James, as you can take that, and, and these individuals that receive this letter, they can apply that to themselves as individuals and say, yeah, I know why I have that internal conflict in me. It's because of my own lust. But then if you think and that James is talking to a, a broader group like a local church, and you could say, "Okay, why are you having struggles and conflicts within a church?" Well, the same thing. It's it's because of uh, it's it's because of people being driven by their own lust. They're They're desiring the the lust of the flesh and they're not really considering what is honoring to God and and maybe even what God's word says, but they want to follow their own agenda. And if you have different groups within the church that are following their own agenda and they're not trying to stay unified around the word of God, what's going to be the outcome of that? Right? There's going to be clashes. And specifically, some of the commentators says that this is mentioning those lawsuits that are being... uh, litigated between these scattered christians instead of handling these issues among the assembly as they should they go to law one against another and we remember that that paul has addressed that paul addressed that to the church at corinth in in first corinthians chapter number six when he when he said this dare any of you having a matter against another go to law before the unjust and not before the saints do you not know that the saints shall judge the world? And if the world shall be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Know you not that we shall judge angels? How much more are things that pertain to this life? If, the, if, if then you have judgments of things pertaining to this life, set them to judge who are least esteemed in the church. I, I speak to your shame. Is it so that there is not a wise man among you? No, not one that shall be able to judge between his brethren, but brother go to law with brother and that before the unbelievers. You know, Paul's saying, you know, that, you all shouldn't do that. You all, they're, they're these conflicts that you're having within the church, you, you ought to be able to resolve those if brother is... Battling against brother church brother is battling against church brother. You ought to be able to resolve those things within the church. And by the way, this is where the church reaches into secular matters.
1: And that brothers ought
0: to say, go to the church and say, how, how should we resolve this issue? Now that's scriptural there. We don't think about it in those terms today, but that's what Paul said. And actually Paul thought they were immature because they weren't able to judge in those things. But Paul's addressed that. And so, getting back to James, he's talking about these fightings and wars that they're having among themselves, and even going, the the, the they're even going to to uh, to uh, court over these things. And James is saying, <laughs> "You're facing these things because of your own lust." And so, so we want to recognize that that we shouldn't be driven by lust we should be driven by the word of god and we should view life through the lens of scripture and we should apply life uh, apply the scripture to every uh, facet of our lives and we also want to remember that this internal conflict that we have within the soul paul addressed that too he, he addressed the wars and the fightings amongst yourselves and when our flesh lusts against the spirit. Notice what he said in Galatians 5, 17. For the flesh, flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these things contrary one to another so that you cannot do the things you would. So Paul addressed that. That it's going to be present. And, and so James is addressing the same thing. These things that are present in us. And he's, and he's highlighting here the danger of lust. And then he goes to verse number two, and he says, "You lust, and you have not. You kill, and desire to have, and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you have not, because you ask not." So, so James is saying, not only do uh, lust or lust a hindrance to our godliness; we can't be godly because we are driven by our own lust, but our lust dominate us so much that we don't ask properly. You know, you have not because you ask not. And the reason we don't ask is because we're being driven by lust. You don't ask because your lust is more important. Have you ever been in a place where your lust was more important than stopping and being patient and praying and asking God for leadership in a certain area? You don't want to ask God because, or you cannot ask God because, how are you going to ask God to supply a lust of the flesh? You can't ask God to do that, right? You can't ask God to bless something that is sinful. So, you can't ask because you're being driven by the lust of the flesh. And you don't ask because, notice, uh, because you kill and desire to have, you fight and war. And so you've got this battle going on because you want to fight so hard to obtain. You want to do everything within your power to try to get it. And so I'm not even going to ask God about it because I've got to do everything I can to get it. And so you don't even consider asking God because your lust is driving you that you don't even stop and think about. I need to pray about this and I need to ask God for leadership and wisdom in this area. You just know this is what is in front of me and this is why I think I ought to attack that. And you go and attack it and so you don't even consider asking You see your lusts are dominating you so much that you don't even ask and you don't ask properly. And you kill, he says. Now that could be figurative language or it could actually mean they kill in order to obtain. I know that's hard for us to think about. But they didn't use words lightly. So when James says you kill and desire to have you fight in war, I mean, they might have come to that place. I mean, again, this is maybe James reaching out into broader Jewry, and so these aren't Christians maybe that he's writing to. And it might be some issues that he knows happening among Scattered Jews, these Jews that are in these areas, and he's saying, Listen, you guys killing one another in order to get that's not right. You need to understand that's simple. Or maybe he's talking to new Christians who are just learning what it means to be a Christian, and so he's calling out this behavior and and it's difficult for us to see that, that people would kill in order to obtain, but in our culture that's difficult to see, but some cultures around the world, that's probably not so difficult to see. So So let's guard against having this desire to take matters into our own hands and even sometimes do things that we normally wouldn't do in order to get something that we want. You desire to have, he says. You covet. Your covetousness is driving your actions. And when you're being driven by your covetousness, you don't think about being patient and waiting on God to supply your need. And so you don't even ask. So lust dominates you so you don't ask properly. And then, if you do decide to ask, what's he say? You ask amiss that you may consume it upon your own lust. So if you do decide to ask, (coughs) you're not asking for needs, but you're asking to supply lust. And how are you going to pray for that anyway? (coughs) You know, how are you going to pray? God, give me a million dollars. I want a million dollars, Lord. I want a million dollars because I want to live easy and peaceably and not have to worry about anything. So God, give me a million dollars. I mean, how are you going to pray for that, right? Right. Remember that earlier, James says that that we are to ask in faith, nothing wavering. So to make sure you don't ask amiss, make sure you're not asking to consume it upon your own lust. And ask in faith without wavering. Ask in faith without wavering. So James is talking to them about these battles that they face. And he's encouraging them to understand the power that lusts have in their lives. And that lust will be a hindrance to their godliness. And lust will dominate them so they'll not ask God and pray properly. And so they need to consider this aspect of their life. So they walk in a way that is pleasing to God. They walk in godliness. And those are good lessons for us also. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this night and the opportunity we had to learn from your word. And I pray that you'll bless your people as we try to prove our faith by walking in godliness. And just thank you for the hope we have in Christ in his name we pray amen